I can, I always, I'm always very uh, nervous to preach. And I hope that that never, ever goes away because this is uh, something I'm going to be held to a standard. I'm going to have to stand in front of the author and I'm going to have to give an account. Um, and that's something that should always kind of strike a little bit of fear inside me so I don't hold it real loosely. But uh, I'm always nervous. But uh, you know what? From the first time I came here, I was overwhelmed by uh, the genuineness, the kindness, the joy, the the welcome. I mean, it really, it really touches my heart in a way that's amazing. And uh, and I just I, I see good things, big things happening. But one thing's for sure, we have to be encouraged, and we have to lean on our Savior, and we have to rely on each other. You know, many people have this idea, well, I can have this relationship with God, just me and him and the Bible. And that sounds really cool, but the truth is, it's not biblical. I can't say that I love Christ unless I love him. It's just the way it is. As a matter of fact, John tells me I hate God if I don't love him, no matter what I proclaim. I mean, that's kind of a hyperbole word that he's using, but he, he's really clear on this. Well, listen, I'm excited to be here, and, and, and I got a great uh, passage for us. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 4, I think, to verse 11. Please bring your Bibles all the time. And if you don't, and if they're for Pew Bible, sometimes I'm going to tell you to underline things. Even if it isn't your Bible, when, when, underline it. Because someone else has got a possibility to open up to that page, and they're going to see that underlining, and they're going to go, why is that there? All right, well, we need to pray, because I, I need always God to protect me, because I'm uh, very, very human. Is anyone else very, very human in this place? Oh, yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a few of us that are honest. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Father God, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. And it is an opportunity. Lord God, I thank you for the worship today, Lord God. Those words brought me right in, right in. It reminded me of your mercies that are fresh and new every day. It reminded me of why you saved me to begin with, so that you could focus your love on me. It wasn't because I was anything that you sought after that maybe you thought that I could give back to you. I, I don't think that's what it was. Somehow, before time and space was, you had me in mind, us in mind, and you picked us and you gave us your son before he even set foot on this earth so he could be our savior, saving us, redeeming us, and be our Lord to lead us and to guide us. Lord God, I, I just want you to be glorified in every way in our lives, and I want you to be pleased at what is said and heard, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A little emotional today. Um, all right, well, starting at verse 4 of chapter 2, 1 Peter, Peter speaking, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's something to underline. That's something to underline. You have been called, chosen, picked to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about what an, a spiritual sacrifice is. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him, they will never be put to shame. But now, to you who believe this precious stone, 
this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejects has become the cornerstone. That's a direct, that's a direct statement to the house of Israel that rejected their king. They rejected their king. When, they, when he entered into Jerusalem, they had made a final decision. We do not want you as our savior. We do not want you, don't need you as our savior, and certainly we're not cool about you being our king. Okay? Keeps going on. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus makes people fall. And one of the reasons is that human beings have a tendency to operate into denial of who they really are. See, salvation in church sometimes is misunderstood. Well, it's about me coming into a building to show everybody else how worthy I am of God's love. But the truth is, that's the exact opposite of what is going on in this building. See, this building, like our brother said, is not a church. Built. It is a building in which the church meets. But the church itself is proclaiming, I am in need before a holy God. And the only way that I can be made whole and right is in the righteousness of Christ. That's what salvation is. It's really important that we get that. He keeps going on. They stumbled because they disobeyed the message for which they were destined for. These are people who take the word of God and they misconstrue it. They twist it up and they, they sell it. They use it in a way to produce and manipulate events. You know, one of the things that a, a true uh, a preacher and a minister of God, they don't undersell, sugarcoat, or water down the word of God. You know why? They're not selling it. I'm not selling you a product. I'm revealing who God is. And some will say, yes. And some will say, to heck with you, no. I'm not here to be liked. I like to be liked. But that's not my purpose in being here. He keeps going on. He says this, but you are a chosen people. Underline that. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what we did this morning. We praised the God who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, we were scattered. We were a people unto ourselves. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is a perfect present tense word. That means once you receive God's mercy, it's not like he pulls it back or we could somehow lose it or uh, misplace it. That means it's been placed upon us and it is now a legal decree. You are the object of my mercy, period. See, this is reasons for us to Proclaim the glory of God. This is reasons for us to weep when we sing his praise because he's literally speaking to each and every one of us in all of our flaws, all of our inconsistencies, all of our failures and our successes. He's like, I have called you to myself. I have now proclaimed you. You are now hidden in the righteousness of my son. That can't be changed. Listen, how many people are married or have been married in this house? All right. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you won't agree. It's easy to be eager and optimistic during the honeymoon season. Can I get an amen? It's easy to overlook things when your relationship is really new, right? 
when you're in the house together and it's all very new, you're sharing the bed together, it's wonderful, you're eating breakfast, you can overlook things really, really easy. Everything seems possible and is optimistic when relationships are new. The first thing I want you to understand, and I think Peter is telling us, is that we have entered into a spiritual marriage with Christ. This is a spiritual marriage with Christ. Never do I see in the scripture where Jesus offers us an a la carte option for our relationship. He doesn't say, hey, come as you are, because he does say that. And then he says, well, take a look around, see what you like, what is appealing to you, and then kind of leave the rest and kind of go on your way. Come and go as you please. That's not what I see in scripture. That's not what I see Christ offering those who are being called out of darkness. He's saying, I'm offering you all of me in exchange for all of you. If you were honest at that point, you'd say, well, for me to give you all of me is a daunting task. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I can do it. To which you would say, I know. But if you stay with me, I'm going to produce it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to take you, separate you from you, and I'm going to replace that void with me. And I remember there was one time when I used to do youth, there was a young girl. I loved her. Uh, she, she was such a sweet kid, and she was brokenhearted for various reasons, um, uh, largely because she had a, a faulted relationship with her father. And, uh, man, it just broke her heart. She, she longed for that love that only a father could give. So fathers remember the incredibly important role that you play. I, I don't diminish what a mother does, but don't forget, man, you are really important in this family. So anyway, she loved she loved, uh, uh, she wanted to be loved by her, uh, uh, so I was talking about the jealousy of God one time with the youth, and she goes, Pastor Tom, uh, I wasn't a pastor then, but they used to call me Nate, and she goes, Pastor Tom, I can't believe God would be so petty as to be jealous, and I looked at her and I said, Miss Stack, do you want to get married one day? She's like, oh yeah, I really want to get married, and I go, can you imagine that day? She's like, yeah, I, I think about it all the time, I'm like, I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you're at the altar, and right before you say, I do, he says, I do, he says, hey, I just want to let you know, once a month, I'm going to go visit my girlfriend for a week. You still cool with this relationship? Can we still get married? What would you say? And her and all the girls behind her were like, that just ain't going to happen. I go, if you won't accept that, why do you think for a minute that Christ would accept that? Christ loves us with a fullness. I want you to think about it in that terms. We have been called to a spiritual marriage with Christ. Not only have we been called to a spiritual marriage with Christ, we have been called to a spiritual marriage with each other. That means we are now truly family. It's not just something we write on a card or we say in platitudes and, and, and in good feelings like, hey, brother, how's it doing? No, no, no. The way Christ has connected us, Paul tells us, is like a body. A body is connected and woven together, so much so that if I bang my thumb, my whole body feels the pain. No part of the body is something that could be easily thrown off. My brother had a gallbladder uh, that was just removed. And you know what? Can I tell you something? It's a very tiny thing. I think it's only about yay big. But when it gets ill, the whole body is in danger of death. I want you to get that. So no part is, well, we don't need that part. No, you need that part. That part must function healthfully for the whole body to function healthfully. 
So I want us to remember that. For these Christians, the honeymoon season has long passed. Many to whom Peter are writing uh, have been followers of Christ for 20 and 30 years. They have trusted in Jesus as Savior and followed him as the divine king. I want you to understand something. In the context of which it is written, there are now children that have been born into Christian homes. That's how far it has been from Christ's ascension. So now it's a long time away. These believers, they had to live with the sometimes costly reality of being connected to Christ Jesus. I want to tell you this. This is something that if I have the opportunity to preach here, you will hear a lot. I may never be asked to suffer what they suffered. I will never be asked. I may never be asked to sacrifice what they sacrificed. But I assure you, everyone who calls himself a follower of Christ is being called to sacrifice. Anyone who is in any committed relationship knows what that means. That means I must say no to me to say yes to you. I must say no to things that are easy or pleasurable or agreeable with me for your ultimate good. That's how marriages and families operate in harmony. That's the way it is with me and Christ. Christ says, I have called you to sacrifice. I want you to be attached to me in such a way that you will incur in your life some level of sacrifice, giving up and giving away. Well, this is what they have done. Many of these whom Peter is speaking to have experienced the persecution of Jerusalem and, and Syria. That means they were blackballed out of their homes. They grew up there, and then in an instant, when they decided to follow Jesus, everybody turned their back on them. They couldn't get jobs. They couldn't do business. They were expelled from their families. I want you to imagine that, what it would be like in this country if you gave your life to Christ and your family was like, you know what, if this is the way you're going to go, I, I just don't want you to come here. Some have in this country. See, I used to be at a church where they used to open up the baptismal, and, that, and, and hey, I'm not here to criticize but they would always say hey if anyone is moved by the holy spirit to come up here and to be baptized into jesus's name i want you to come forward and i used to have a big problem with that and i said to the pastor i go i've got a big problem with this and he goes why i go because if i did this in the sudan for me to come up out of that chair to get baptized in this water in the name of jesus christ could mean that i would come home to my house being burnt down or my children being snatched and sold into slavery See, it's not an emotional experience because you know what? Anyone who knows about emotions knows that it comes and it goes. I cannot live on the bread and butter of emotion because I'm going to be like a roller coaster. God wants to produce stability in your life. You know why? He wants to use you to create a new culture in society. That's the truth. He wants to remove the faulty, the dead culture and use you as a living stone to create a new, stable foundation in the world. Can I get an amen? There's a lot of stuff to be grateful for. They have lost things. They have lost family connections. They have lost friends. They have lost social belonging. That means they couldn't belong. They were literally people without a nation. They had lost property, jobs, and future prospects. They have endured why? I'll tell you why. Because Ephesians chapter 1 tells me they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this on his final day. Do not weep that I go away, for it is good that I go away, so that I can send for you the helper. When he said that helper, he really was underselling it. The Holy Spirit comes into us, is sealed into us. That's what Ephesians says. That means when it's sealed, it can't escape. His spirit now lives inside of me, 
and anchors me in a stream that is constantly pushing against me. It constantly wants to sweep me into its current. We live in a world that's constantly going, come on, are you a man? Christian, you don't have to be all crazy like that. Anybody ever heard those voices? Oh, I have. Or I've heard this voice that says, hey, listen, did you believe one person zealous about this? Save the little dream for God. Christ says, come to me and die. That's what he says. It's not, it's not hyperbole. That's literal. He says, come, pick up your cross and die on a cross. can't shade the word, but I'm going to tell you something. When he says he's going to remove one thing, the thing that he offers us is so much better, so much more glorious, so much more glorious. This Holy Spirit had anchored them in a protracted storm. And this is one of the reasons that we as his body give continual praise. When I was worshiping this morning, the words they set on me, they in. They affected my heart. I was weeping from the moment I heard the words. It wasn't just the melody or the talent or, man, I really get excited about this song. No, man, it, it affected me. Like one time I literally, I was like, man, I felt like pressure. Like God was like, get on your knees, man. Get on your knees and praise God because this is an absolute truth for you, Tom. It's not just the truth you learn in the book. No, this is a personal truth for you. See, I'm a believer that when this is a personal truth for you, to surrender for the glory of God is no longer a giant burden. Man, I come here on Fridays, every Friday, Tom Cameron. And I'm going to tell you something. The broken people who've been in Christian homes for so long, who have been struggling with you know, compulsive behaviors that have been like a poison in their soul. They're heartbroken every time they fall back into these patterns. And you know what they hear? Man, am I so glad you're here. You know why I say that? Because every time I go there, I feel God going, I will never disappoint you. I will never break you for you. And you know what that does for me? It causes me to say, Man, that means I will never stop trying to give more over. This is the praise that Peter's speaking of. Wow, I've gone a long way and I'm only on page one. Yeah, you say that till we're here an hour and a half later. <laughs> You're like, will this guy have, he'll be praying for me to stop. After 20 years of waiting for Christ, it has become hard to hang on to hope. This is where it gets a little bit sobering. When we lose hope, and hope isn't a wish, a hope is confidence. That's what the biblical word hope means. It means I'm confident this is going to happen. When I lose my grip on hope, I can go into survival mode. And I believe there is a vast amount of Christians who are in survival mode. Committed Christians, real Christians, Christians with the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you get in survival mode. You put your head down. You don't put your head up because that could cause somebody to pick you for something. So you come in and you come out. You don't overextend because to overextend means you could fall or it puts a lot of effort on your living. 
But can I tell you something? That's what the apostles are constantly encouraging us. Strive. Paul says, strive for what is ahead. Let go of the past. Don't worry about the past. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday anymore. Strive. That means literally reach out till it hurts. Has anybody ever been on a ladder and realized that they had to reach way beyond their reach? Right. But, you, you know, because we're so stubborn, we don't get off the ladder and move it. We're like, I can do this. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? This guy, he's like, you know. But most of us, because we're not that agile like my brother, we do this. Right? Well, can I tell you something? As you're reaching, you can feel your body shaking because you're exerting effort. That's what it's being called. This is a spiritual act of worship. It's the act of worshiping by reaching toward what God has in store for us. That's how we live with expectancy. That's how we live and keep hanging on to hope. Survival mode is the most dangerous place for a Christian to be. When you're in survival mode, you will tend to lean on your own experience and understanding over God's counsel. Well, I know that that's what it says, but surely he can't mean that. I know that he wants me to live generously, but if I live generously, I really kind of put my day-to-day schedule and my agenda and my budget in, in kind of harm's way. If I really give sacrificially, I may not be able to live the comforts that I'm used to. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not talking from an ivory tower. Uh, pleasure and comfort was my idol god before Christ. Whatever uh, pleasure promised and comfort promised, man, I worshiped at its altar. And it dragged me into some very, very bad gutters. But I'm going to tell you something. We live in the epicenter of the worship of pleasure and culture. It's easy for us to think, well, Jesus is coming. When we get saved, we hear this truth and we're excited about it. But then one year turns into 10, 10 years into 20, and 25 years. I remember one time I was at a table and I was talking about all the things that was happening on the global, uh, on the global scale. And I said to, at this guy, to a bunch of guys, and I was like, isn't it amazing to think that Jesus could come at your time? And an older son, I love him, I love this guy, he's a good fellow table, he goes, man, I've heard that since I was 13 years old. I, every generation has said that. And I was like, yeah, that's true. We have heard that time and time again, and we've got to be very careful about saying Jesus is coming around the corner. That's why when people go, I got dates, I go, no, you don't. You don't have a date. Don't do that. You're going to discourage people. But I want to say this. We are clearly supposed to live with an expectancy that this could be the year. This could be the year. What would it look like if God broke through the crowds, clouds at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning and visited this church? Man, is that out of line? Yeah, I think sometimes people are like, that's out of line. But I say to myself, you know what? I hope that happens one day. I pray that that happens. I pray that my eyes will see Jesus coming down from the clouds. I pray for the time, and I long for the time when Jesus takes all those wrong things, those things that are out of skew and out of alignment, and brings them into proper order. Because that's what he promises to do. I believe God is a truth teller. I believe God is a truth teller. And because I am so flawed and so imperfect, sometimes I doubt his honesty. Does anyone else sometimes doubt his honesty here? All right, let's keep moving. I believe Peter understood fear 
better than any other apostle. Fear is our number one enemy. Like my brother said, because fear causes me to hedge. It pulls back. Listen, I'm not promoting fights. But anybody here, and I think there's been a few people here who've been in a fist fight. If you come into a fist fight timid, I can guarantee you're going to be a little bit harder. I'm just telling you. You have to be ready to kind of wade in. I was talking to a brother, and I was talking about my anxiety, and I don't know what to do with it. Never felt it before in my life. And he goes, I want you to wade into it. When you see the wave coming, I want you to approach it fully and say, I'm going to examine you fully. I'm not going to run away from you. This is what Peter was dealing with. This is what Peter dealt with his whole life. And this is the people that he was talking to, what they were dealing with. They're like, how much more are they going to suffer? Listen, I think it's time for us to really look at the reality of things, Peter. Peter, I get it. I know he's coming back, but you know what? I, I've given too much. I really think we could be a little less vocal. We could be a little less passionate. Maybe then people would leave us alone. And Peter's like, no, no. Some people, when fear comes, you know what they do? They run away. Some people do what? Come on, you know. They hit. They hit. Peter was a hitter. And you know what? He wasn't a hitter because he was tough. He was a hitter because he was afraid. Remember? Best, best example of that ever. He's, Jesus is walking, teaching the people. There's about 10,000 people. And he tells them, I am the bread of life. And I am, my, my flesh is really food. And if you do not eat my flesh, you're going to die spiritual death. He goes, my blood is a real drink. And if you don't partake of my blood, you're going to die in your sin. And the people are like, what does that mean? I don't even get it. And you know what the truth is? It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. So lo and behold, 10,000 people turn into five, turn into one, turn into 500. And now before you know it, Jesus is walking away with just his 12. And they're all scratching their heads. Jesus goes to Peter, Peter, where are they all at? He goes, I don't know. This is a hard thing to hear, Lord. I'm not going to be honest. And then he says, who do they think I am, Peter? And he goes, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah that's come back. And then he looks at Peter and he goes like this. Who do you think I am? I want you to think about that right now. Jesus looks at us every single day, square in the eye metaphorically and he says who do you think i am because i have to ask and answer that question all the time there's a lot of things in my life that i don't want to do i don't want to give into it's costly i told my wife the other day i'm tired i'm tired of working two jobs i feel like i'm carrying around two 25 pound weights everywhere i go not too much but it's a lot of weight and i'm just tired then Christ looks at me and he says, who do you think I am? And you know what? I have to confess. You're the one who found me when I was wandering about in darkness. You're the one who found me when I was in bars. You're the one who found me when I was filthy, dirty, and my whole family didn't want to hear it. You were the one who found me, chased me, and then brought me in. And you didn't do it by banging me over the head and dragging me. Somehow you lured me back. And you know what? You've never let go of me since. To which then I say, well, I guess I'll pick up my 225s and keep moving. 
That's literally what Peter is saying to the people. But remember this, as soon as Jesus told them what he was going to do, how he was going to suffer, how he was going to give his life over, how he was going to suffer in this way, that he was going to give himself over to the authorities, he was going to be dragged out, publicly humiliated, stripped naked, because that's what he was. He was humiliated by being stripped naked before crowds. That was humiliating. And then he was beaten within an inch of his life. So badly was he beaten that people believed that the flogging actually exposed his organs. Then they put a 200-pound log on his back and whipped him up a hill, a thousand feet. And then they nailed him next to criminals and poked fun at him and said, if you're really God, then come down and we'll worship you. To which he responded, And you know what Peter said when he heard that and he realized if that's what they're going to do to you, what are they going to do to me? And he goes, hey, Jesus, don't say that kind of stuff. Nobody wants to follow a king that's going to be dragged through the streets. Nobody wants that kind of Messiah. And what did Jesus say to him? Be silent. Quiet down because you're speaking like the devil who owns the world. You're speaking like a human being. I'm speaking to you like God. My glory will be found in not me showing you how mighty and awesome I am because he could have. My glory will be shown by wearing a crown of thorns so you never have to. Man, I'm telling you, whoa, that makes me excited. That makes me excited to think that my God shows me glory by going to the lowest place to wash my feet. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Who am, who am I to you? Man, I don't know if I can keep going here, but I got a lot of time. It's already been in almost about 40 minutes. I got at least another 40 minutes, so we're going to kind of condense this. Peter now knows by grace, and he embraces by grace, what it truly means to follow the anointed king. He knows that Jesus, what Jesus said when he said this, he said, at, it was three days before his crucifixion, he had a seed in his hand. He goes, see this seed, guys? He goes, unless this seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains but one seed. But when this seed, which is my life, dies, it will produce more fruit. And that fruit will have seed, and that seed will give, produce more fruit. And my life will produce a yield that will never end. You know what that is? Who's a believer in Jesus Christ here? You're his fruit. I mean, your life is seed, his seed. And he expects your seed, your seed, your seed, your seed, our seed to go into the ground and die. Our life is given over as a spiritual sacrifice for him to use for you to come to a better relationship with Christ. I don't want you for a minute to doubt his love for you. I don't want you for a minute for you to doubt. Oh, I've heard that before. No, no, no. It's hard to understand God's love. But I'm going to tell you this. There will come a time when we will see him face to face and we will know in an instant how great and awesome was his love for us. 
Don't you ever forget that. Don't ever doubt that because I know that there are a million voices within us and outside of us that want to say, that's not true. That's Satanist. That ain't Jewish. No, no, no. Those who have been born again, who have been given the Holy Spirit, they know it's true. Why did Jesus do all this? Why did he readily take up his cross? Did he do it because we were beautiful? You know, it's real easy to love your kids when they're doing really good. Amen? Oh, man. You got A's. Let's go out for pizza tonight. But you know what, though? We're not always easy to it. You know, not all of us are perfectly straight people. You know, the people that he came for and picked up his cross for had blemishes on them. Some of the blemishes that we have will last us our whole life on earth. They'll just wither the way. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to die for them because the moment that they accept me, they're never going to disobey me. Anybody ever disobey Christ's command? Oh, yeah, sometimes by omission and sometimes it's by permission. No, 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 I'm not doing that. You ever say that to God? Because I have. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. You got to find someone else. You know what? He's got a strange way of making you do it anyway. But I'm going to tell you something. That's who he came to die for. He didn't come to die for the beautiful. He didn't come to die for the perfect. He didn't come for the A students. He didn't come for the ones with no problems. He came for the broken. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to give sight to those who have blind eyes. I have come to give hearing to those who are deaf. I have given strength. I've come to give strength to people who cannot stand up in their own strength. One of the things I've learned from being a part of this recovery group is I cannot trust in my own strength, no matter how strong I think I am. I must learn to rely on him 100%. And I will have a tendency from time to time to say that and then say, I got this. And then he goes, no, you don't. Remember, go sit down again. Listen, I'll tell you when we're going to go. Listen, do me a favor. Only come when I tell you to come. Just stay there. Wait for me. I've got perfect timing. Amen? All right, let's keep moving. What did Jesus come to bring? He came to do this. He knew that his love for his father would transcend time and space, and it would create countless generations of true worshipers, the ones who would sacrifice to God that was birthed from a deeper sense of gratitude. You know what? I don't care how much you bring. I don't care what you bring. I don't care if it's washing a floor. I don't care if it's, you know, you got like 10 bucks and you put it in there, in that, in that offering. I don't care if it's keeping the door open when you went and bought the house on it. I don't care what it is. It was birthed out of the fact that, yeah, I'm doing this because you died. You know, I said this to a young brother the other day. I go, Carlos, I want you to understand something. Jesus didn't just die for you. He lived for you. You know what that means? In a real practical sense, that means everything that you've experienced pain-wise, he experienced first so that he could be for you a perfect high priest so that when you go to him before the throne of grace and go, God, I'm in need. 
I'm broken. I don't think I can do this. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I, I've been burnt before. I feel lonely. I feel afraid. I feel used. And you know what he says? Don't I know? Man, I don't know if I can love you. I felt it for you. I felt it for you. You know, all that emptiness and that, the, the, the dirt you feel like you're drinking sometimes that makes you feel dry. Remember on the cross what he said? I'm afraid to say it wasn't just drink he was talking about. He was like, I'm coming with thirst and being thirsty in this place. You know why he did that? So that you never, ever have to feel alone. You could come before the throne of God any time, any portion of the day, and he is always ready to receive you. That's one of the things that comes across in this so much. When I come here, it's like Christ himself is waiting to embrace me. I'm glad you are here. I'm glad you are here. You know, that's why we come here not at five minutes to, like it's easy. We come here at 30. That's why we hang around in that little area. We drink coffee. We laugh together. So that when that one guy comes in, that's been drinking for 23 years or is on the verge of divorce or has lost his job or God knows why. Maybe he woke up one day and said, man, I'm going to hell. When he comes in because he goes, well, I don't know where else to go. It's right across the street. I guess I'll give it a chance. And he walks in in 15 minutes to and he sees the smiling faces that said, man, am I glad you're here. Can I give you a cup of coffee? Come on, sit next to me. Can I introduce you to a brother? Can I introduce you to some really, really nice people? That's what it is. That's the spiritual sacrifice that Peter's calling them to, he's calling us to. And they're pulling back. They're like, man, we've been abandoned. We're on our own. And he's like, you're not on your own. You've been called. I'm going to end with this. The sacrifices that God has called us to, is never given with a hope of one day repayment. When you serve, wherever you serve, whatever you do, it's not because you're one day thinking that you're going to be able to offer God a bill, a receipt, and go, hey, I did all those things. Uh, just show me where I belong for the rest of eternity. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. You know what it is? It's, man, I did those things because you did all those things for me. And you know what? I'm not asking for anything. I got it all for me. I don't have to want anything. You got, you, it's all mine. I just want to know that you smiled when you watched me. I always think that, God, if you could just please let me know you're smiling at me. Not laughing at me. Because I think he laughs at me too sometimes. <laughs> Look at this guy. What a knucklehead. But I want to know that he smiles at me. That's a spiritual sacrifice. That's when we worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to end. But I want you to remember this. In Jesus Christ, with him as the, as the cornerstone, we rely fully on him. I want to give you a, vivid, a, a visual illustration. He's the cornerstone. That means I put all of my weight as a stone on him. This is not a 50-50 partnership. It's a 100% dependency. And you have to pray that every day. Lord, I am dependent on you. 
I know you have given me enough grace to live the godly life that you have called me to, but I need to appropriate that grace. And you know what? It's easy to know that verse, but it's hard when you're in a difficult marriage and you want to get out of it. It's very hard to serve when you're like, man, I'm already working 12 hours a day. It's hard to give when you're like, man, I'm having a hard time taking this end and this end and meeting them together. You know, when you come to him and you tell him that honest like that, he says, you, you put your weight fully upon me and I'll make it work. I'll make it work. I'll find a way to make it work. And you know what that means then? That we, as the other stones, are placed in the wall and we lean on each other. We lean on each other. So that means I need you. You need me. We need each other. That means I'm not dispensable. Well, it doesn't matter if I don't come this week. No, it, it does matter if you come this week. Well, it really doesn't matter if I'm there. No, it matters that you're there. It matters as much as one day you waking up and finding your foot is missing. Would you think that it mattered then? You would. You'd be like, man, I wish that foot would be here. Man, you matter here. And you know what? Isn't it just to show up at the last minute and leave when it's all done? No, no, no. This now is your home. This is your family. You're the seed of Christ. You're the hand of Christ. You're the feet of Christ. And he wants to use you as a conduit to bring his grace to those who are in need. And that's an awesome thing. Let's stand up. Let's bring the worship team back. I want you to remember this. You have been called by Christ. If I understand Ephesians chapter 1 correctly, and I think I do, and I know it's an argument by some, but you didn't come here because you made a good choice. You didn't come here because, honestly, you didn't come here because one day you just woke up and said, you know what, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. No, no, no. He's been chasing you your whole life. He's been chasing you your whole life, and he chased you to the point to now you chasing him back. That's what he's called. You know what? If you're chosen and you're a mother, your job as a mother is so important. So important. And I, I believe sometimes that's hard to believe. You're not just a mother to these kids. You're raising the next generation of stones. You're bearing the weight of their unbelief and resistance. Just like Christ bears your Get it? You could come to him with a broken heart. You could come to him with questions as long as they're sincere. You could break down and cry and say, I don't even know what to say. And to which he would say, I need you. I know. I need you. I want you to think about that when we worship. We thank you that you call us, Lord, and we respond here at the who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me 
there's nothing more encouraging than to hear those whispered prayers. Those prayers are precious because they're offered in Jesus' name. They're prayers that Jesus bought and paid for with his flesh and blood. You know what that is? That's a continuation of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. Man, lives forever and ever through us. I want you to know this, that you are not merely a servant, you're a child. You do not serve just a king, but you serve a father who loves you and is committed to you. Your life now is a living sacrifice. You are a living, breathing conduit of his grace, and he wants to use you to complete his eternal temple. Father God, I just want to praise you and thank you for this lovely, lovely congregation of saints. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless them. Bless them with open doors to this week. I pray, Lord God, that this would bustle that the light that would come forth from here, from your glory that's manifested in these saints, would be so bright that people would take notice when they drive down the street. That they would not just see a building, but they would see people coming in and out of that building every day. That they would say, wait a minute, that's a place that seems to care about people. There's something going on in there. I have to see. I have to see. I feel called. Father God, I pray for you to do this, Lord God. I pray for you to raise up the, the courage and the, the, the effort and the heart and the passion of the saints, Lord God. Because, Lord God, I'm going to confess, we are all too human still. And, Lord God, we can't keep it going in our own strength. We need for you to be the light in the area. And we pray this with one voice and one heart in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. You guys love each other? Man, I'm so glad to be here. Amen.